Thank you, Sandy. The passage we just heard, uh, of course, covers what we call the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve had exactly one rule, one rule to follow, and they blew it. And instead of obeying God, they listened to Satan, and sin corrupted them. As they were the only people alive at the time, the entire human race was corrupted and continues to suffer the consequences of that original sin. The doctrinal statement of this church describes it this way. It says, we believe man was created in the image of God, but fell into sin and out of his grace. We believe that man was created in the image of God, but fell into sin and out of his grace. And so because of their sin, their disobedience to God, Adam and Eve became mortal. And they began to die at that moment physically. But they also immediately died spiritually, just as God had warned that they would on the very day that they ate of the forbidden fruit. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, speaking to all Christians, describes this spiritual death. He wrote, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Isn't it something that Satan, who deceived Eve in the first place, is still at work deceiving people and getting them to disobey God? Paul tells us that all of us were once in that condition, and therefore we were all subject to the wrath of God. Well, that's the bad news, isn't it? But the good news is that if you are in Christ, that condition is past tense. We were dead. We once walked. We were destined for wrath. But God, Paul writes, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Back in Genesis 3-7, Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. They knew they had sinned against holy God. And the very first thing they did was to sew fig leaves together and make themselves loincloths. And do you know what that was? That was the first act of man-made religion in the world. They tried to make themselves right with God by covering their own sin. You might uh, note that 
The next thing they did was try to hide from God. <laughs> Anybody ever tried to hide from God? I, I, whenever I think about that, I think of a, a little child under a kitchen chair. Going, you can't see me. And then the next thing that happened, of course, is when God called them out. Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed Satan, and it's been about the same ever since, hasn't it? First, we try to cover our own sin. We try to say, it's not that bad. And then we hide, and then we blame somebody else. And uh, you might have noticed that it does not work any better today uh, than it did then. Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned against God. They tried to cover their own sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved them, even after they corrupted his creation with sin, promised that the seed of the woman, who is Christ, the virgin-born Son of God, God promised that his Son would crush the serpent's head after the serpent bruised his heel. And then God clothed Adam and Eve in garments or coats of animal skins. And you need to be careful not to just breeze past this because what was wrong with what Adam and Eve did when they tried to cover themselves? It wasn't so much wrong as, as lacking First of all, it needs to be a covering from God, by God. But it also requires the shedding of innocent blood. And if you think about it, in order to clothe them with skins, God had to shed innocent blood of some animal in his, up till then, perfect creation. A great sacrifice. And that amazing prophecy all the way back to Genesis of the coming Redeemer is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. It is the prototype of the Evangelion. That is the Greek word for gospel. That's why believers who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ are called evangelists. And those who belong to churches that proclaim the gospel are called evangelicals. I know that labels these days take on all sorts of strange meanings, but that's the origin of the word. So if you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are indeed an evangelist. You are evangelical. At any rate, it's hugely important, isn't it, to understand that Adam and Eve's efforts to cover their own sin and to make themselves right with God was a total failure. They didn't get halfway there and let God do the rest. Religious acts cannot make you right with God. We have um, people all over the world, millions and millions of people who are trapped into some kind or other of works-based religion, who are trying to to make themselves right with God without ever having gone to the cross of Christ. And it cannot be done. They are doomed to a life of frustration 
and failure. Religion cannot make you right with God. God himself has to cover our sin, and innocent blood must be shed to do it. <clears throat> the doctrinal statement of this church, once again, captures that idea saying this, we believe that the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection provides the only means for salvation. Only those who receive Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, by faith, are born of the Holy Spirit and thus become redeemed children of God. I think that's very well said. You see, the problem, my friends, is not with so much the attitude of people who are trapped in Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Tom Cruiseism or whatever it might be. He's the Scientology dude. If you haven't ever read that webpage, I'm telling you. One of the first things it says is truth is whatever we have experienced it to be. That and a, a dollar won't even get you a cup of coffee, right? The problem with all of those other religions is that there's no salvation there because there is no cross there, because there is no shed blood of Jesus Christ there. And so we should be anxious, we should be urgent about warning our friends and our neighbors and our acquaintances and people that we meet along the way, we need to be urgent to tell them the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. So the bad news, again, is that all mankind fell with Adam and Eve. It's called original sin. Right? The good news is that Jesus Christ willingly died in our place and wrote the new covenant in his own shed blood so that we who believe and receive him are covered, not by religious acts, but by the righteousness of Christ. And so if you are a believer, the penalty for your sin has been Put on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. What an amazing thought. The penalty for our sin was put on Christ, and His perfect righteousness has been put on us. Okay, so what's our problem? Why aren't we all perfect? Anybody here perfect? That's... I'm always scared to ask that question because have you noticed that even though we are in Christ, even though we are sealed and indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, even though we have Jesus walking alongside of us, have you noticed that we still sin? The problem, of course, is that even though we have a new nature in Christ, we still drag around that old sin nature of Adam, don't we? We've been justified in Christ. We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
our glorious future is 100% assured. And aren't you glad? Listen, if we could mess it up, we would. I guarantee it. Every one of us. But our future is guaranteed. And yet, until we get our resurrection bodies, our glorified bodies, and actually become sinless, oh, what a glorious day that will be. Until then, we have the mind of Christ, but we still have the flesh of Adam. And so Paul writes these words that are once at once uh, tragic and yet filled with hope. At the end of Romans 7, he writes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so it goes. The season of Lent, I think, is a good time for born-again Christians to reflect on holiness, on sanctification, and on our walk with Jesus. It's a time to examine our lives and to ask ourselves, how are we doing? To put it a little more bluntly, you say that you are saved, you say that you've been born again, you say you've been justified in Christ. What have you done with it? And I'm asking you to ask yourselves. You don't need to check here, and I don't need to check there. If you saw what was really in here, you wouldn't sit this close to me. <laughs> this is a good time for born-again Christians to examine, for us to examine our lives and see how we're doing. And there's a, a wonderful passage for us I think that captures the spirit of this season in 1 John, in John's first epistle. And beginning in verse 7, John wrote, If we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, that is to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Ooh. And his word is not in us. So friends, we who love the Lord, I think we're in a, a very strange condition. We stand in God's grace. We have been justified once for all. We have passed from death to life. We will not face God's wrath. Our future is secure. And yet, we still sin. <clears throat> and even though Christ died once for all time and will never die again, we still need to apply the blood of Jesus to ourselves so that we can experience forgiveness. 
<clears throat> and be cleansed anew of all unrighteousness. We have been, past tense, we have been justified, but we are being sanctified. From the moment we're born again until we die or are raptured, whichever comes first, we are in the process of becoming holy. Do you feel like you're becoming holy? That's supposed to be our goal, isn't it? We could definitely celebrate our perfect standing in God's grace, and believe me, I do, even as we work on our less than perfect condition. You know, we had communion today, and I, I think this is symbolized in communion very well. Because even as we remember the Lord's death, that's what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul said, remember his death. Even as we remember the Lord's death, we look forward to his glorious return. And meanwhile, we are in time in between those two events, aren't we? We were born into Adam's fallen family, but we have been born again into God's risen family. We stand in God's grace, but we still sin. In Genesis 3, God explained the consequences of sin to Adam and Eve, and He covered them with garments of skins, but they still became mortal. They're not walking the earth today. They eventually got old and died. Paul explains it to us in Romans 5 and beginning in verse 12. Therefore, he writes, just as sin came into the world through one man, which is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted or imputed uh, where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. I know that's a difficult passage. Here's, here's a, a simple paraphrase. The fact is this. The fact that all people die is proof that all have sinned. That's our family inheritance from Adam. But verse 15 says, But the free gift, the gift of God's grace, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. You know, there's a lot of phrases in the Bible where it says much more. You can never get to the end of what God wants to give us. Much more. Have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift, Paul writes, is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought 
justification. And Paul goes on. <clears throat> he closes that thought saying, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that is Christ, the many will be made righteous. And so we have death in Adam and life in Christ. We who have been justified by God in Christ once for all time are being made righteous. And it requires our participation. Did you hear that? It requires our participation. Our goal in life must be to become more holy ourselves even as we proclaim the good news to others. And Lent, I believe, is a, a great time to reflect on our progress. And so during this time, as we walk with Jesus toward the cross, we need to stay close to Him. I'm reminded of the garden where Mary tried to cling to Him. And that should be in all of our hearts. We need to cling to Jesus. Let's stay close to Him. Let's imitate Him. Let's introduce Him to other people so that they too can know the blessing of forgiveness. Our call to worship this morning said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think the long and short of it is simply this. Every day, we need to get up. We need to thank God for justifying us in Christ and clothing us in His righteousness and then we need to set our hearts and our minds on becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for that covering. We thank you for removing the penalty for our sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willing sacrifice, a terrible sacrifice of yourself in our place that allows us to freely be changed and forgiven and justified and born again in you. Father, as we approach this season of Palm Sunday and uh, Resurrection Sunday, I pray, Father, that we would consider what it must have been like to walk with Jesus toward that cross knowing that the Son of Man must die and be buried and be raised from the dead. And Father, I pray that we might walk along with Him, that we might share in that suffering to the degree we're able. And Father, that You might continue to change us and make us more like Your Son, Jesus Christ, every day. And I pray it in His mighty and powerful name. Amen.